Hi, I'm Carrie Schmidt, and this is Making Sense, a podcast produced by the Star Institute in an effort to further our commitment to impacting quality of life by developing and promoting best practices for sensory health and wellness through treatment, education, and research. Occupational therapy best practices ask us to integrate knowledge into practice. On this season of Making Sense, each episode offers a different conversation aimed at translating the most current research into clinical action for occupational therapy practitioners. This season of Making Sense is dedicated to the memory of Janet Wright. Janet was an incredibly enthusiastic occupational therapist. If she were here today, she would have been one of the first to create and host a podcast where students, parents, and teachers could glean some practical information. She did not want OT knowledge to be abstract. She looked for it in everyday situations and in daily routines. Her family takes great pride in knowing that the Star Institute embraces the same passionate principles that guided Janet. As you listen and learn, keep her encouraging voice in the back of your mind and her infectious smile in your heart. I am joined today by Lisa Porter. She has a wide range of clinical experience from adult neurorehabilitation to burns with a focus in sensory integration and processing. Lisa is the owner and director of Sensory Kids in Portland, Oregon, and a faculty member at the Star Institute. She specializes in sensory and relationship-based therapy. She is passionate about learning, mentoring, listening to families' stories, and playing. Lisa is excited about integrating her own research into clinical practice and loves mentoring experienced therapists in the Star frame of reference. When she is not working, Lisa enjoys traveling, backpacking, kayaking, reading, and cooking. Lisa, welcome. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. In this series, we invited um, star faculty to choose a piece of literature to discuss, um, or maybe even an idea that you've been thinking about or curious about. And an article that you chose and sent me was Making Sense of the Body. The Role of Vestibular Signals by Christoph Lopez from 2015. Tell me a little bit about what interests you about this topic or even this article. Uh, When you asked me to do this, I had a hard time choosing an article. And um, I'm sure you remember, uh, I told you that I gave you a date, but um, I did not give you any specifics for a long time. And, um, and it was hard for me to pare down because you know, having just finished an OTD and a PhD, um, I'm pretty buried in research and I love it. And I can go down rabbit holes really easily. Um, I have been really focused on the vestibular system for a long time. And of course, that's what we'll be talking about um, today and why I'm so interested in it. But I think part of what also um, excited me about this was knowing you, Carrie, and knowing that you love interoception. And I thought, well, I'm going to throw some vestibular at her and uh, see where we go with this. Um And just because, you know, both are so essential to our work. And so I thought it would just be fun to discuss this with you. The other piece is um, that I have in my rabbit holes uh, gone down the road of looking at sense of agency and what that means and why it's so important or why it should be so important to us as OTs. And so the second article that I sent was on... um, 
sense of agency, but it was way back in uh, 1995, an article by Polkinghorne. Um, and, you know, it, it was from Asia, and it was really amazing to me that uh, a sense of agency isn't something that we see or talk about very often as OTs. And it, it really should be in my mind. And I hope we're kind of headed back in that direction. Um, and back to the vestibular system. Uh, the reason I chose this article was because it really was a nice overview of why the vestibular system is so essential to our sense of self and particularly to our sense of agency and how it helps us develop that. Yeah, I love that. I think that one of the visions for this series is that a lot of the star faculty are very interested in pretty diverse topics. Um, but one thing we're all passionate about is linking it to occupational therapy practice. Mm -hmm. So there's so much um, right now, a large body of work um, that is starting to support our sense of self stemming from multisensory integration particularly the integration of extraception, interoception, and proprioception. Um, but what you brought today, which I thought was so interesting, is unraveling the role of the vestibular system um, in perhaps modulating those sensations, um, but also really how it does underlie and contribute so much to the bodily self. Um, and then I was thinking about the 1995 article um, about occupational therapy and agency. And what I really took away from that article in part was that a sense of agency or what one might call an agenic life, right? A, a, a life driven by agency is an embodied and action oriented life. And the vestibular sense is an embodied and action-oriented sensation. So I thought that was a great way to weave those two things together. Yeah, I've, I've just done a couple of uh, presentations recently and really diving into looking at the you know, what I'm calling now the big three, the proprioceptive system vestibular and um, tactile system of sensory and proprioception and just how they work together. Um, of course, along with all of the other senses, but I think um, those three play such a big role in sense of self and agency. And, and so I think it's interesting, too, that um, when we look at different disciplines, uh, some of these, even the senses are defined a little bit differently. And I was just reading an article where they were talking about proprioception and, and seemed to include vestibular within the sense of proprioception. And then we look at some work, like I'm, I'm very much into interpersonal neurobiology and the work of Dr. Dan Siegel, where he doesn't talk about the vestibular system. And I think how, how can you be uh, so grounded in sense of self and leave out this really essential system? And now, of course, we have more and more neuro research uh, and so increasing our understanding of, of how extensive this system is and I was thinking also your question about why I wanted to talk about this topic and I thought um, you know I think most of us at Star are very 
dynamic systems driven. And, and it occurred to me right before we started talking that the vestibular system really is the ultimate dynamic system. And, and that's part of, you know, again, what we're going to talk about is just how extensive it is and um, the connections that um, it has throughout the brain and nervous system. I think that's so fascinating because, as you know, interoception is my passion. And also, when you read the literature on interoception, sometimes proprioception can be included in that, um, you know, in interoceptive sensory processing. Um, and so I do think it's it's very interesting. Um, one of the common threads I find between interoception and vestibular um, signals are that oftentimes they really are processed, or really, I would say, the majority of the time they're processed unconsciously. Mm -hmm. um, and so if they come to a conscious awareness, whether your um, vestibular signals are coming to conscious awareness or interoceptive signals, um, it's oftentimes when something in your body needs your attention. Mm -hmm. um, and so... I think I'd, I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about what you've heard or read about why the vestibular system is so important to that exact idea that your vestibular system informs how you live in a body, within your body, the signals coming from within your body, but also um, interpreting the signals that are coming from outside your body. Um, and um, the things that in your environment, because the vestibular system does, um, is a movement and action oriented system. And so it's oftentimes implicated in the way that we interact with things in our environment, not just with, within ourselves or within, um, you know, our immediate environment, but in the way that we act or behave on the environment outside of us. That's a, a big and a great, I don't even know if that's a question, but a comment. And I think, um, you know, even listening to you talk there, um, again, back to this idea about how extensive and important the system is, because it is our one system that really never shuts off. Even when we're sleeping, our vestibular system is very active and that, you know, just basic sense of or our relationship with gravity is so very essential to our sense of security and sense of well-being. And so very foundational to who we are and our own security, but then also, like you said, how we interact with other people. And it's one of the reasons that's one of the things that I think um really struck me and how important this is to all of our um, foundations of the star frame of reference, right? So very clearly, you know, are, are those three foundations being sensory relationship and regulation. So when we look at how, um, how the vestibular system is connected throughout the, the brain and nervous system, um, we we know that vestibular signals go directly through some of the just foundational regulatory structures. So very tied into our regulation. 
and um and then also like you said um very much tied into our interactions with other people so not only are we does the vestibular system give us that sense of where we are in our own space but there's now evidence showing how important it is in how we anticipate and um perceive others in our environment and so when we look at that third foundation of um, relationship, the vestibular system becomes more essential to how we're interacting with other people. And I think some of my favorite, to take this to intervention, um, some of my favorite videos and and, uh, sessions that I've looked at over the years um, and that I use frequently in my presentations are when we have kids in sync with their therapist when they really match up physically. And there's a couple of videos where you can see kids shift their posture and their timing and sequencing to match their therapist. And, and they're, you know, of course, it's not done automatically. They are not thinking about this. The therapist's not instructing them to do this. But they're so connected, so regulated, so engaged that, and, you know, I think receiving the just right vestibular input along with everything else that they're able to to make that shift to sync in such a deep way um, to bring that relationship piece in. And I think I, I go back to those in my mind when I think about how essential the vestibular system is in our ability to perceive and interact with connect with others. I love that example in part because it is so practical, um, but in part because it's a beautiful illustration of what can happen when your sensory system is fortified or maybe kind of receives the balanced approach of the right amount, like you were saying, of signals and input um, in the context of relationship. And it occurs to me that what you first said is probably one of the most important parts of that. And that is that the vestibular system truly gives you that felt sense of safety. And without safety, without a sense of safety, none of the rest of it is possible. And I do notice that when you have a client that comes who does have some difficulties with their vestibular processing, one of the things that strikes you right off the bat is how unsure they are in every environment um, and how hard that must be to live that way, to live in a way that you're not safe within your own body or you're not safe within any environment because your vestibular signals are not being processed properly. And to establish a relationship with an occupational therapist um, and a parent um, who now understands that challenge in their child allows that development of synchronization in play, right? Mm -hmm. That ability to um, pace and um, engage, they're doing that from the base of, of safety that you've been able to establish by helping them with their vestibular sensory processing. 
I think that is so important for therapists to realize that. And that's why I love to use these videos when I'm teaching experienced therapists. And I think even for us, even for for therapists who are um, sensory integration trained, um, it's, it is still, I think, important to really dive in and point those things out as something that, you know, just kind of these subtle, um, seemingly subtle changes and shifts, but they're so, so essential. And then I think, you know, listening to you talk then, how hard this can be to help parents understand. Because, you know, we spend so much time thinking about the vestibular system and what does this mean and what does relationship with gravity really mean? And the only way kind of from a concrete perspective that I can think about this is for people who have experience with vertigo. And, you, you know, you were so out of your body almost, right? Just definitely outside of that sense of comfort, that sense of foundational safety is gone and it throws everything off, even with a pretty mild case of, of vertigo. And um, I think of you know ways to try to get people to make even subtle shifts with their vestibular system to start to pay attention to how much it affects them. Um, so that we can help parents understand in particular how how meaningful this is. Like you're saying, when our kids have vestibular challenges and are not connected to their bodies and are so don't have that foundational sense of security, what does that mean and how does that affect them? Um, to understand where some of the behaviors come from that they're seeing. Well, and I love that you're saying we bring that need to bring that awareness to therapists because I think both therapists and parents know flow when they see it, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? They know that was good. That's a, you can feel it when you're even in the moment of that. Um, but what you're bringing up is scientifically supported, right? Mm-hmm. In the literature that vertigo is studied and they find, um, depersonalization mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. with vertigo, right? How easily we separate from ourself and our body when we experience um, vertigo. Um, and I think about the article um, that you sent and how one of the things that they studied was how watching other people move through space and have the effect of gravity on other people um, actually like triggers in you, um, perspective taking. Mm-hmm. And so you're trying to, for example, if I'm watching you, you are trying to figure out, say what hand you're writing with, right? Because that's a detail that you might want to pick up on that might be important or say what's more, um, applicable to play or therapy is like what hand you're throwing that ball with, right? Because it will inform what direction my body will need to move if that ball is coming to me, for example. And so in the studies, you know, what they were finding is that people um, 
in their own minds rotate their body in order to figure that out. So like a mental cognitive task of rotating your body, not in real life, but just mentally rotating your body to figure out um, that and that that underlies perspective taking. And I've even read articles that have taken it as far as that it underlies empathy because it, it you know, because of that perspective taking. Um, and for parents, um, for us as therapists to be able to both give a little bit of that background and reinforce in, in other therapists and parents that we're working with, that's it. What we just saw is, is flow, right? Mm-hmm. Or we felt that. Now, why did we feel that? You know, what was happening? What's shifting in us? What's shifting in the child and their vestibular system to allow them to um, be more embodied in their play, be more engaged, demonstrate that sense of agency. I, I completely agree. And I think one of the reasons, you know, you mentioned, you know, going back to the research and um, for me, my route to STAR started um, with my, um, when I took part in the mentorship program starting in 2009. And it began with the feeling, right? I, I, felt the flow. I had that feeling. Um, certainly I was introduced to some of the science, but we didn't have, that was what now, uh, 11 years ago, we didn't have a lot of the science that we have now. And as we have more and more understanding of this, it, I, it's part of why I've become so excited about it to, uh, you know, to have that feeling myself, and then to see how this kind of therapy impacted my children and the connections with their families, and now to have the science to understand it in a more in-depth way, I think is really amazing and um, helpful to um, to give that to parents and certainly to give it to therapists when um, we're you know in our mentorship program now we're we're bringing more of that as it's available. Um, and I was thinking too, um, one of the articles that I looked at was just a, a short article by Stephen Porges that just came out in 2019, where he, he, the title of it is Brain Body Connection May Ease Autistic People's Social um, Problems. And he talked about how the neural regulation of our body, of our internal organs, influences our emotional responses and then our behaviors toward other people and their environment so that same idea that um that it is um these our internal senses that give us that ability um to connect well i think something that's interesting to me about that concept is the behavior piece because mm-hmm. what parents can describe um, and what we can witness in assessment or um, even unstructured play is the behavior. So the result of the multisensory integration or lack thereof, <laughs> um, you know, it it shows itself in the way that the child engages. 
Um, it shows itself in their readiness to engage. Um, and so I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. The, the vestibular sense, um, how does it prepare us for action, engagement, um, readiness, I guess? Well, you mentioned earlier um, that part of what we're finding out from these articles is that the vestibular system actually can modulate some of our other senses, which I think is really interesting. And again, you know, the other thing I was thinking is just how um, what we know more and more about neuroscience and, and definitely about sensory processing challenges is that what we're looking at is the neural connections. It's not about one part of the brain doing something and another part of the brain doing something else, but it's this connectivity. And one of the other things is that we know that the vestibular, you know, the vestibular system has uh connections that start from the vestibular nuclei and the brainstem all the way through to the cortex and multiple regions of the cortex. And so, you know, with readiness that starts with arousal regulation and the vestibular system is highly involved there. And you think about, um, you know, something as simple as getting up and moving in the morning, getting up out of bed and moving and how that changes your arousal level. But then, um, you know, the what we have the gift as OTs in our gyms to really be able to use uh, vestibular input in a very different way to get our kids truly ready to engage in the just right way. And to, to look at individual differences, to recognize where their challenges are and how we can use the vestibular system to support them, to increase arousal to that just right state, to um, to support regulation. And, and another article I was looking at um, just today was actually talking about the importance of the vestibular system, of course, in overall well-being, but then in healthy aging as well. And so I think it has so many implications. And I had a friend years ago whose uh, mother had dementia and he uh, was, you know, he was very good with her and spending time with her and she was really declining. And one day, I, or it was a Mother's Day, I invited them to come to Sensory Kids on the weekend. And um, we helped her onto one of the big swings and laid her down on the swing in uh, in supine and just gently. It was a big glider swing that was as she was a tall woman and it was as long as she was. And we just gently rocked her back and forth and and she broke out in song. She was Irish and um, her son, my friend, started crying when she started singing because he said she used to sing all the time and had stopped. He hadn't heard her singing in years. And it was just kind of magical to see how that changed her and to move in a way that her body had not moved in years and to feel safe and secure and have that movement in a way that took her back to uh, this joy that she hadn't had for a long time. That's a long way around from your original question. 
Um, but I think, you know, just a, an amazing example of how it gets us ready for engagement and interaction. I love that. That's a beautiful story. It occurs to me too, that his present, her relationship with him might've also been one of the things that cued her brain to sing, you know, mm-hmm. that she probably sang to them as a young, as young children and, Um, I think the key concept here is, you know, readiness to act. It's dependent on this multisensory integration that you're talking about. The, you know, not just a single part of your brain working, but um, an integration of senses, whether it's interoception or proprioception, uh, the visual vestibular information she was getting from gliding on a swing. Um, And also um, the awareness of the body and having a body in which to act on the world, in which to voice that beautiful song, right? You know, having a body and a memory um, and an ability to voice and to sing. So I think that is such a beautiful example because it brings all of those pieces together. I think when we work this way too, we, uh, and then I mean star-trained therapists in particular who work in this very child-led way of looking for flow and following the child's lead and, and focusing on engagement and regulation. Um, we can think at times that we are not doing anything or question what are we doing in therapy when we're not doing the traditional activity based sort of work. Um, and to, you know, to, again, this, the story that I just told takes me back to, um, realizing the importance of, of everything that we are doing when we are um, really um, allowing kids, giving kids or adults that we're working with these abilities to connect um, in these really essential ways to, I, th- I want to say almost even more importantly to themselves first. Um, because when they can connect to themselves, and you said this early on, that we're talking about an embodied process, then we're able to connect to other people in our environments. But that essential connection to yourself and your relationship with your body and gravity is just such a very important piece. And how often do the clients that we work with who are challenged with sensory processing and integration come to us and have stopped moving their Mm -hmm. bodies um, in unique ways or in ways in which they feel safe. Um, How often has the family gone into a bit of a survival mood and stopped being able to play together? Um, Because you know, life takes so much energy and management. Um, that play seems superfluous um, to them. And in your example, you know, as we age, we don't necessarily have as much opportunity to experience 
movement as children do, like on swings or on a playground or things like that. But that's not only true of the aging individual. We often see it in children who are challenged with sensory processing. And so, as you said, as therapists, sometimes we can think, what are we doing? But there is a really important component here in this movement, and that is the context that it happens in. It happens in relationship, um, which you said you're super interested in interpersonal neurobiology. So, Mm -hmm. you know, that's another layer of that. And it happens in play, you know, movement through play and movement in engagement. And and, um, so I'd just love to hear you say a little bit about the role of interpersonal neurobiology. It's for me, this, this field of interpersonal neurobiology, when I found it, um, it explained, you know, we, we talk about the it of STAR and interpersonal neurobiology explained it for me. It brought the science that initially that I was looking for, for why this therapy worked. And, um, and it really is about, um, connecting what's going on neurologically and starting to you know understand and learn more about the neurology of engagement and connection and um and yeah there's a whole field now and a number of of books out and my probably my favorite is the interpersonal neurobiology play by Teresa Kessley that talks um specifically about um why playing in this way of flow is essential, finding flow and finding connection. Um, And she, interestingly, towards the end of the book, she is a a psychotherapist and she talks about most of the work she's doing is sand tray play. And she mentions the hand-body connection and how when we think about in, in the embodied self with the mind it is as the embodied self um how important the hand body connection is and my mind just about blue thinking you're leaving so much out if you're just talking about the hand body connection you know we i see so um so much happen when we're moving when we're really moving our whole bodies and you know bringing in that of course, vestibular system that I think is so important. And uh, one more story that I want to share. This just came up last week in one of my supervision sessions with one of my therapists who had just started working with a little girl um, who was just under three years old. And her parents brought her in because they were concerned about her just overall lack of engagement with them and with her environment, not wanting to explore very much. Um, not speaking you know she had a couple of words I think um and my therapist saw that her mother was seeming depressed um and talked about that with her a little bit that she wasn't getting that connection that she so desperately wanted with her daughter and so we spent our supervision We'd watched a video of her evaluation and spent some time talking about her motor challenges and how that really limited her from exploring. 
and um, exploring her environment, but um, how um, you know it didn't seem that they'd done some work on a swing, and it didn't seem that her arousal was greatly changed by swinging or movement. But we, you know, we kind of settled on let's really find some ways to support her um, posturally so that she can move. And let's look at different types of movement to see how uh, how she responds, and will that change her ability to connect with her mom? And sure enough, in our next session, um, the therapist said that her the little girl's mother walked away almost in tears that this was the most her daughter had ever engaged and connected with her and that was just what she was looking for and I really think the you know I mean there's so much going on in our therapy but that movement piece was really essential for her and you know and and finding ways um with the swings and the equipment we have but it was subtle movement so it's in this case things that i think are going to be translatable we figure out how to bring some of that into their home so that they can can find some of that connection yeah i I love that it brings it full circle right that why are we doing this why are we even looking at um the research, the the literature that's telling us the vestibular system is critically involved in integrating sensory signals um, because it drives engagement, because it gives families connection, um, because it helps that child feel safe and grew her relationship with her mom. Um, and so I love that it, you know it it's our why. And I think it's something really unique about STAR. And one of the reasons I'm so excited to have these conversations is because we care so much about the therapeutic process. And we give a very unique framework in which to experience that process. But we do not stop there. We want to know why it works and we want to be prepared um, to give parents and other occupational therapists, the research, the data that they need to to scientifically support what we know and we see really works in real life. I think from a research perspective too, what's really nice there is that we are bringing the basic research back around to, like you just said, why, why does it matter? But we're, you know, we are looking at, I I know, you know, I've had uh, some connection with some of these researchers that we are talking about who are blown away when we tell, talk to them about what this means clinically, how we have taken the information that they've gleaned about the vestibular system, for instance, in this case that I'm thinking it was a, a researcher in London who um, was was studying the vestibular system that had no idea really the implications of how this impacted um, people. You know, she wasn't looking at any clinical population, so not children or adults. And so, yes, I think the fact that, you know, we at STAR have these conversations and bring these things back to, um, first of all, to how it impacts our 
population, but then more importantly, how does it impact the relationship and how do we use it to support kids and families? Mm-hmm. No, I love that. Well, I think it's probably a good time to start wrapping up. Um, I think one thing that I am struck by, not just in this conversation, but in some of the reading that we did to prepare today is this idea that by means of multisensory integration and modulation of sensation from within our bodies um, and outside our bodies, um, our brain generates a spatial representation of the body as a whole. Um, And it is in that way that we are able to engage um, with the world and with other people. So I'd love to hear one idea that has evolved for you in the course of reading some of the articles we mentioned today or um, in the course of your clinical practice um, specific to the vestibular system or embodiment or both. Um, What's something you may have evolved in your thinking about or even changed the way that you thought about something? We talked about um, the fact that I have done some training in interpersonal neurobiology. And one of the things that just came up recently is um, the discussion of the mind. What is the mind? And he talks about the mind as a process of uh, regulating energy and information flow. And he does not refer to that directly as thinking about sensory processing and integration. And when I heard him talking about that, I thought this is, you know, he talks about the embodied brain and, and that being the, all of the neurons and the connections that we have in our gut and uh, throughout other parts of our bodies, not just in our, in our brain, our physical brain. And it really is about sensory processing. And that is where this idea of the embodied mind comes from. And so again, all of these, you know, not just the vestibular system, but how we integrate all of our senses, um, both intro and extraceptive senses is so very essential um, in so many ways, um, you know, to our physical and emotional health and well-being and connection with other people. And that was that was fun for me to come back around to that and realize I think that um, and you know another rabbit hole that you and I could go down is where I have been going recently is um, how all of our work needs to be brought more to the forefront of mental health services. And um, I think that this the sensory systems are not discussed enough and not used enough in mental health work. I agree. And I love the fact that you brought up people from all different disciplines today. Um, you know, most recently, Dan Siegel, because their work is primarily more focused in psychology or mental health and, you know, our work and our 
reading in what they're developing and in what science is developing and then applying it in occupational therapy is an awesome opportunity to bring it to the forefront of mental health. So Mm -hmm. that's really exciting. So tell me one thing you're curious about right now. Um, I have to say, um, this is my, um, I am, I am curious, you know, I think again at STAR, um, we promote a multidisciplinary team. Um, but I myself am, you know, I just finished my dissertation, which ended up being very focused on family systems. So kind of moving away from the individual, uh, sensory systems, but, um, how families interact and how we as OTs support the entire family system. And so I go back then to the mental health piece and I'm very curious about thinking more about our roles as OTs in mental health and what we can bring within our scope of practice, um, but also considering seeking some more uh, knowledge myself in the area of mental health. That's great. I think you need another degree. (laughs) I see where this is headed. (laughs) That's what you need next. Well, Lisa, you're the owner and director of Sensory Kids in Portland, Oregon. Can you give us that um, website so that people can um, go there to learn more about and connect with you? Yes, it is Sensory Kids OT dot com since we get the occupational therapy.com. Okay. That's great. Um, okay. Well, I appreciate your time today. I always learn so much when I talk to you and I always leave with new ideas and, um, so much to think about. Um, and most importantly, so much to bring to my practice. So thank you. Thank you, Carrie. This was, uh, I very much enjoy having conversations like this with you. I hope we can do it again. That would be great. I love that. Okay, thanks so much. You can find me, Carrie Schmidt, on Instagram at Carrie Schmidt OTD. That's C A R R I E S C H M I T T O T D. The Star Institute is a nonprofit organization. You can find out more about us at our website sensoryhealth.org. That's www.sensoryhealth.org. There you can join our email list, find out about our educational, clinical, and research endeavors, and make a donation. This podcast wouldn't be possible without our wonderful guests and the support from the STAR Institute, especially Crystal Hayes and Tori Pluchek. Your feedback matters to us. Please leave a review, subscribe, and share this podcast with your friends. This is Making Sense. I'm Carrie Schmidt.